Welcome to Talking Heads, everybody. Episode 180. Your once-week live show for the latest in beer and tech news. I'm Jeff. I'm Red. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on this Wednesday night. If you've never seen the show before, we talk beer, we talk tech, we talk waffles. Tasty waffles with lots of syrup. <laughs> waffles? Can I get some waffles here? Uh, we talk beer, we talk tech, we talk games, pop culture, entertainment, usually some Star Trek. This is a family-friendly show in both language and content. And all Super Chats are read on the air so long as they meet those family-friendly criteria. We do drink alcohol on the show. And if you are drinking along with us, alcoholic or not, let us know in the early show goings and we'll give some shout-outs as we go along. And if you'd like to take part in the super secret chat and the even more super secret after party, think about joining the Patreon or Float Plane. Links are both down in the video description. As a bonus, you'll get exclusive access to the Discord server, where you can chat with myself, John, Rhett, Steve, all of the hosts from Talking Heads, and keep the conversation going over there all week long. And something about catching us on the replay and podcast form on Anchor.fm or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. And that's a show. <laughs> I guess we're rolling. We're rolling. Welcome to it. Rhett, how you doing? Doing pretty good. Coming to you live from this uh, blank void, like uh, like John Oliver. <laughs> that was your joke. I had to poach it. I know you did. Uh, yeah. Rhett's broadcasting live from Purgatory this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. That's where we've all been. <laughs> right. For months now. Yeah, for... <laughs> uh, welcome to week 58 of our three-week lockdown. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but yeah, no, feels good to be in the blank void and um, drinking, drinking one of my favorite drinks, yeah. a Hendrickson tonic Ooh. with a little, with a little muddled cucumber in there. Oh yeah. Mm. Oh, it's good. Dang it. Now I should have gone gin. I thought about going gin and tonic tonight and I'm like, no, I think I'm going to go beer. You know, we, we got a lot, a lot of cocktails out of our system in March. I'll, I'll go back to, now I want a gin and tonic and waffles. <laughs> Gosh darn it. See, I looked out. I didn't have any beer in my house yeah. uh, or any alcohol, really, until uh, a friend of ours um, brought over a, a, a gift for us, and it contained a bottle of Hendrix yeah. uh, and some nice tonics. So I had to just jump right in. Sweet. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have been just sipping on some hot tea or something tonight. Yep. No, nothing wrong with that. Uh, Andrew, Andrew, $5 donation, cider or stout first? I'm going to say cider first and then uh, save the, the stout for it, uh, when it warms up just a little bit, like later tonight. Uh, and Novella Hub, $5 donation, modest brewing, bite-sized, double chocolate vanilla stout, 7.2%. Mm. From Minneapolis. Yes. Topical. Way yes. to go. Uh, did we get Steven Anderson there? $5 donation. Uh, did I miss another one? Right above Novella. Oh, yes, I did. They, they, the chat went so quick, it, it skipped by me. Uh, Steve, $5 donation. Thank you, Steve. Uh, hi, what is Tau on my, uh, Z490 motherboard, and what does it do, and how should I enable it? Tau? I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm either drawing, <laughs> drawing an absolute blank, which could be a thing. Does Jeff draw blanks, anyone? I, I do. Sound off in I chat. I do occasionally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm. Oh, Tau Boost. Yeah, that's Asus's 
proprietary thing. Uh, yeah, just enable Tau. Uh, if you have an Asus, uh, I believe it's on their Tough series as well as their Prime series. Sorry, I'm I'm still not used to all of the like we're cheating Intel's power standards because they don't have a standardized boost algorithm, and so like. Precision Boost Overdrive, PBO. I can tell you how to do that on, on an AMD motherboard. Whatever the bloody heck ASUS versus Gigabyte versus, you know, ASRock. They all call it different things when it comes to Intel. But it's the Ignore Power Limit Turbo Boost. Uh, yeah, check out your uh, documentation. And yes, you should be running it. Uh, Michael, $5 donation. LOL, can't send URLs in chat. Uh, check chat logs. Uh, Hackaday USB-C PD chip. Ooh, that could be interesting. All right. Uh, let's see. Well, you were having a Hendrix and, uh, and Tonic. Uh, I'll go ahead and start my evening. Uh, since uh, you're on the show, Red, I figured I'd go straight into your wheelhouse with a... Uh, German Doppelbach. Uh, this one from Ex Novo. Double decorated German style Doppelbach. Uh, mm. 8%. And, Love uh, a good Doppelbach. Yes. So And uh, pink swords and kind of like this weird eye kind of oh, pattern yeah. on it. Like Illuminati, but not. Irk's <laughs> drinking a Waterloo Amber. We got Andrew Preston, Hello Apple Cider, Cortland, uh, uh, oh, Hemley Apple Cider. Sorry, Andrew. Saw your correction there. Lexington yeah. Brewing, a uh, mammoth Belgian style with orange peel and coriander. Yum. That is Michael a Stevens. beautiful, beautiful beer. Like it's... It's red. It looks like cranberry oh, yeah. juice, only like slightly more brown, but still very, very red. And then this creamy, creamy colored head. I love it. This is going to be a good one. Grandma Hate drinking Michelob Ultra. Oh, that's good. That's what I'm talking about. Ooh. Boy, they're giving... Uh, uh, gosh, what's the the brewery over in Silverton? The the Abbey or Mount Angel? The Abbey? Oh, the uh, uh, Benedictine. Yeah. Benedictine. They're, they're giving Benedictine's Doppelbach a a run for their money here. Ooh, like it? That's a I dig it. That's good. Oh man, that's good. Uh, I'll I'll hook. I bought a four pack of that. I'll hook you up with a pint next time. Oh, I'll good. See good. Yeah, uh, hopefully that'll be soon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, and sorry, Skull, I didn't give you the name. The the Ruminator. <laughs> it's the Ex Novo Ruminator. He figured it he out. He figured it out. He got it. He got it. So, sorry for making that one more difficult than it needed to be. <laughs> nah, Skull, Skull's a dogged detective. He'll track it down. Yeah, he, he is on it. That's why he makes the big bucks on the mod team. Uh, mm. Joey's about to have a broken Skull IPA. Uh, John's drinking a Heineken Zero. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> uh, and Skull's drinking a uh, Surly Furious. Nice. Uh, JL Studley. Number one, I like that name. <laughs> $5 donation. Thank you, JL. You guys are fantastic. 12 Gates West Coast IPA here. Excellent. Cheers to that. All right. Uh, 
what do you say we get right into it here? We got we've quite a lineup, for, so even we though we've been do on the air for like eight minutes already. Yeah. Uh, first off, uh, let's get straight to the headline story, and that's that the RTX 3050 and 3050 Ti have both officially leaked. Um, I know I say officially leaked, and that's because they <laughs> leaked, but not from the official source. But you can pretty much take this as an official documentation of this will be the RTX 3050. Uh, that is because Lenovo uh, has given away all of the specs of the two upcoming graphics cards. Uh, they are putting it in the Lenovo Legion 5 uh uh, laptop as pictured up here on the screen, uh, which is one of their top end or mid to top end uh, gaming laptops. Uh, and you can choose a 3070, a 3060, or an RTX 3050 Ti, or an RTX 3050. Both of which uh, they gave all the boost clocks away as well as, uh, well, I can't quite read it on my screen here. Gave both the boost clocks away as well as the amount of memory. So four gigs of GDDR6, which Honestly, I think we all expected that. Uh, they will boost all the way to 95 watts of power, uh, even in the, the laptop model that is given here. Uh, I know that sounds a little bit high for a laptop, but remember for the last couple of generations since Pascal, Nvidia has not been making mobile variants. They've just been watt limiting their desktop variants. Um, so 95 watts of draw gives us a pretty good idea of... Uh, what will be expected out of the RTX 3050 and 3050 Ti when they hit desktops. Uh, and we can say that they are made on the GA107 core. That's the Ampere 107 core. The 3050 Ti has 2560 CUDA cores and the 3050 has 2048. Uh, similar boost clocks between the two, slightly higher on the 3050 of 1740 versus 1695, although we should see clocks well into the 19s and 2000s. Uh, with uh, Turbo Boost 3.0 or whatever they're... I, I am not with it for abbreviations or acronyms or anything <laughs> tonight. It's like, yeah, the thing that makes it go faster. Well, it's Wednesday, but it's been a long week. <laughs> so... <laughs> it has. Um, I feel like I've crammed five days of work into three days. Yeah, so. no, I, I seriously have. I've already shot uh, one and a half videos this week. Uh one of them's taking an extended amount of time, so I'm trying to put like two or three smaller videos in between. Uh, did all the benchmarking for a third video this week and then have a fourth one like on the table ready to go to shoot on Friday. So buckle up, Rhett. You, you got a lot, of, a lot of work coming to you. <laughs> I know. You sent me, you, you were talking to me about it earlier, and I was like, I don't know about that turnaround, man. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you got some flexibility in there. Yeah, but uh, no, I'm just gonna send them to you, and uh, and I'm I'm hoping to. So I'm I'm telling Rhett here, but I'm hoping to publish every Tuesday and Friday. I'm hoping to get into a regular release schedule, because right now my release schedule, and since I started the channel, has just been when a video gets up, it gets up, uh, and and I don't work on simultaneous videos. Really, I I just don't. Uh, but I'm trying to get into that mode where I can work for a couple hours on a video. And if it's gonna take longer, I can set that aside, get a video out, move back to a bigger project. Uh, I was trying to do the, uh, uh, I was trying to work on the cloud gaming server because the Pascal, Ampere and uh, uh, Turing cards have all been essentially unlocked for vGPU support. But 
actually making that work is not as simple as just running the script. There's a lot of setup that goes into it. Uh, I'm trying to run it on Proxmox, although I will probably withdraw that and end up probably just running on on uh, VMware out of simplicity and GUI's sake. Uh, but trying to get that video spun up, I've got another wing of that project that's kind of developed. Oops, as I'm hitting the, <laughs> the shock filter uh, or pop filter. Uh, so yeah, I'm trying to get some of the other stuff that's been on my desk for a while kind of moved through and, uh, you know, let's, let's get some content out. Sounds good to me. Yeah. I'm all on board. All right. Show's over. I got work to do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what's next? Uh, all right. Uh, Moving on to Martian news, and that is that NASA has successfully flown the first self-powered vehicle on Mars. Uh, They took off their little rotocopter, uh, sent back some images of it lifting up, as well as some images from the drone itself, and it was a complete success. Uh, It flew up, it uh, went about, what do they say, about 150 feet or something like that, and then came back down. Uh, uh, yeah, the, uh, the crazy thing about that is everyone goes, Ooh, wow. They flew a drone on Mars. You have to remember the atmospheric pressure on Mars is so much lower than what it is here on earth. Um, that is, they essentially flew a drone at what would be around a hundred thousand feet in earth's atmosphere. The air is so thin there that it practically doesn't exist. Uh, there, for those who don't know, a helicopter has blades and those blades spin really fast and it pushes against the, uh, against the air and is able to generate lift, uh, just from the amount that it's pushing down. I know that's really layman's terms, but yeah, uh, as, uh, Michael says, flying with 1% of our atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's not air to push on there right? <laughs> and, and they and, still and- manage to do it. And the thing with helicopters, you think about like there's um, there's some features here on Earth that are so big and deep that helicopters can't even fly over them because once the ground has gone underneath them, they'll right. they'll plummet a little bit. And most mm-hmm. of the time, they recover. But you know, so you think about what it's like for a helicopter even to just have that sudden, uh, you know, I guess not altitude gain because it's not gaining altitude, but even just right. the dip in terms of what's beneath them, it affects the helicopter. So you got to imagine when you have what is the equivalent of 30 kilometers or so mm-hmm. above earth you have less to work with even even variations like that are just going to play hell with your right. with your vehicle so right. it's impressive i mean it, plus it's on a whole other planet that takes half a year three quarters of a year to get to yeah for god's sake like oh they flew a drone this isn't some kid with their cell phone in their backyard <laughs> spying on the the girl next door as she's sunbathing like which is yeah <laughs> don't use okay. your drones like that yeah dude that's a huge problem I, my brother-in-law has been dealing with that not to get too off topic but yeah. he's been dealing with somebody's been flying a drone over his house he lives out in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and somebody's been flying a drone over his house and and a couple weeks ago was like chasing his boys around the yard with a drone like, oh, you got to be careful. You can't just shoot a drone out of the sky because you're dealing with FCC regulations and that drone for all legal purposes is an aircraft. Yeah. So well, you shoot a drone out of the sky. Well, here's so the equivalent of shooting a plane. Well, here's the deal. Um, 
technically you own up to about 30 feet above your property line. And so, yeah. cause that's, that's what is that class C space? Uh, drones are allowed to operate in class C space, but then they fall under private property regulation. And so there's, there's so many different organizations that have so many different fingers into the lawmaking and there's no laws that are in particularly aimed at drones. And the FAA has taken a fairly heavy handed approach with drone regulation because if it goes in the air, it's our, it's our domain and you need to be a licensed pilot to fly something that weighs more than 250 grams. I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, we need somebody to regulate it because right. this is what's crazy is just how fast technology evolves anymore. And then regulations lag like a decade behind. Mm -hmm. It's embarrassing. Um, but yeah, all that to say, don't fly your drones like that. In fact, right. Mars is a great place to fly your drones because there's nobody to mess with, yeah. you know? So good on you. But I, I will say, wonder... I, will, I will say, I, I know where, you're with, uh, where your brother lives at. I'm a pretty good skeet shooter if he needs to <laughs> get it taken care of. He is too. He he actually went out there with like a big long fishing net the other day because he he was too scared to shoot it out for the legal repercussions. Yeah. So he was waiting with a big fishing net for it to come back, but it never did. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it always, you know, stuff like this about the Mars thing, it always makes me think, um, you know, a few years ago, obviously the big thing was the book and the movie The Martian, which is, you know, it's yeah. a great book if you haven't read it, great movie if you haven't watched it. But I always wonder, you know, had the author known what the future of Mars exploration would look like, how that would influence the right. book a little bit. Not that I think a, having a drone on Mars would impact his survival that it much. It wouldn't have impacted it. Just, it. Um, in fact, uh, narrative a bit. In, in fact, I've heard some commentary from from uh nasa scientists and whatnot about the martian and they said he got pretty much everything right on the mm -hmm. theoretical side of things as far as yes you could grow plants the way he did yes you can do this yes the have if we built a, a you know a, a habitable building on mars this would be very similar to what it would be it would, um and uh he goes so scientifically it's all sound except for the windstorm at the beginning because yeah. there's not enough air pressure. So circling us all the way back around, there's not enough air pressure to move anything other than dirt. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, that was one thing when, because actually the way the book came about, if anybody's interested, I'll just give you the brief thing is that he's a, Andy Weir was an engineer mm -hmm. and he loved imagining theoretical space exploration missions. And so he would like plan out on pen and paper how NASA would explore Mars. Oh, mm -hmm. here's this plan, the Ares mission. And somebody's like, dude, this nobody writes stuff out like this. You should put a story in there. So he came up with a story about how somebody got stranded on Mars. And the only thing he couldn't come up with was how does he get stranded on Mars? Yeah. Because that just doesn't happen to NASA. You right. know? So he had to get a little inventive with it. but. Uh, great book if you guys haven't read it. I, I really enjoy it. Yep, I, I've read part of it. Uh, I was gonna do the audio book, but then I stopped commuting. And so yeah, I just haven't, that's a big one. I just haven't done. So I actually need to start, I usually listen to music here in my office. I'll, I'll, I need to switch to audio books. I, I, I've, I gotta do the same thing. Yeah. The movie is actually a pretty great adaptation and I love it in its own right. But the book just has, so much more humor injected mm -hmm. in it. If you thought the movie was funny, the book is even more funny. <laughs> the opening line, sum it up alone uh, of the book. And I, I can't repeat the whole thing, but I'm pretty much effed is how the book opens up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. He's just like, yeah. no, yeah, I love that book.
Anyway. Good stuff. Uh, Robert, $5 donation. Does the FAA regulate projectiles? Can I launch recursive smart projectiles in, <laughs> instead of a drone to avoid bureaucracy? Uh, <laughs> I think he's wanting to make like a, a land to air automated missile system. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> boy, I'm not sure where the regulations would be on that. Although anything above 250 grams falls under FAA regulation. So yes. yeah, I, th I think that you're going to have to consult your state's statutes and rules on this matter. Because... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Uh, what I will say is if I were to take a drone down and I didn't want to, uh, your brother had the right idea with the net, but uh, crank it up a notch. And if you've if you ever watched Mythbusters uh, when they were trying to catch uh, pigeons outside, Jamie made a net launching gun with some tennis balls and a net. And so it's like a giant air cannon with like six barrels on it. And then he slides tennis balls down there that are hooked to a net and he can shoot it out and it literally wraps around anything that it touches. Uh, they shot it at Adam time to some great, very great effect. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's how I would probably deal with that is some kind of a net launcher. Uh, or a trained hawk, I, I guess. Uh, yeah, I saw those <laughs> you seen those ones? <laughs> Naturally. I mean, what problem on earth can't trained animals solve? I know. Yep, that's a YouTube rabbit hole. <laughs> oh, tell me about trained it. Trained hawk can... does X. Just <laughs> I'm impressed when people can train their dogs to do stuff, and that's been like a relationship like 33,000 years in the making, you know? Yeah. I'm like, that dog's basically been bred to listen to you, <laughs> but I'm still no, impressed they, by it. They haven't pretty much been. They have been. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny. Think about a dog that literally receives no training and just how in tune to you they can get. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll eventually understand very basic commands, even if you don't put in the legwork of like, right. you know, positively reinforcing or using mm -hmm. a clicker or anything like that. Like, if you're just a dog owner and you're like, sit a whole bunch, they're eventually going to get that. You know? <laughs> oh, dogs are the best. And, uh, Drake wants me to remind everyone, and I think it's a great reminder, uh, I am not a lawyer, and anything that I say is not legal advice here on or should be interpreted as such. Uh, and if you blow up your own house or your neighbor's house or you yeah. get uh, federal agents on your front lawn because you shoot down a drone, your legal defense is your own. <laughs> right. Yeah, my legal advice is consult your state and local laws mm -hmm. and consult a lawyer if you have further questions <laughs> right yep yep uh net launcher was so 77 of mythbusters <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right moving right along here uh ransomware ransomware it's that problem that seems to be getting worse and worse and the target seemed or the uh perpetrator seemed to be getting more and more bold about their attempts who they're targeting how much money they want uh the latest was announced uh not ironically because they planned it this way but was announced by the hacker group uh revil r-e-v-i-l a uh hacker group out of russia uh, they let Quanta and Apple know that they have 
a large chunk of Quanta's data, which also includes Apple blueprints for uh, their MacBook or for a MacBook that they stole back in March. And they want $50 million for all of their data. Uh, according to the hackers, they have everything that was on the LAN uh, at the time. So they they got literally every server, every computer, and they're asking for $50 million so they don't leak the information. Uh, Qualcomm is, or Qualcomm, sorry, Quanta is staying pretty, pretty strong in this regard and said they will not pay by the April 27th deadline because, well, it's $50 million. And Apple has yet to comment on the matter. Uh, Revil said they would also hike the demand to $100 million if the timeline is not met. So, uh, ransomware. It, it cannot be understated enough how critical security and good file practices are today. Uh the the amount of these ransomware attacks <coughs> excuse me um the number of these ransomware attacks where they are holding cities local governments state governments hospitals schools hostage because they have locked down all their data and those organizations either don't have backups or those backups were also crypto locked because they had the same password on the same flat network uh, it is insane the number that you hear about. Uh, there was actually, uh, was it Kaiser uh, here yep. in Oregon uh, last year or the year before was hit with a ransomware attack to the uh, their transportation system. And yep. uh, so they were locking down uh, street cameras and uh, traffic lights and all kinds of stuff like that. And the city didn't have a backup or a working backup of their data. I think they ended up having to pay like 120000 to get it back or something like that. And that's a very regular story. But as I said, these perpetrators are getting a little bit more bold in their attempts. And now they got, they got an infection in on Quanta, which is a major Apple supplier. Uh, they, they do a lot of the PCB work for Apple. Uh... I've, I've seen Quanta, uh, I believe they had network cards at one point uh, that were Apple. I think that was in the Mac Pros, I think. Uh, but yeah, $50 million is what they're wanting to not release sensitive Apple data. You know, I wonder though, reading the story, um, I'm struck by the idea like what what if these people don't actually have what they say they have because the only evidence that they do is that they leaked some macbook designs yeah they, they leaked a blueprint for a macbook a macbook okay. design from march is what they said and there's lots of ways you could have got that that don't involve a breach of having you know all of this data 50 million dollars mm -hmm. uh I, I i'm and the fact that uh Qantas kind of like i don't know if we're gonna pay <laughs> it makes me wonder if these guys actually have anything or if it's just a big you know kind of a, a big gambit like reading this story i'm not 
necessarily convinced by what we know. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then again, I'm a schmuck. So, <laughs> right. Um, but I mean, I've, I've worked in data centers. I've worked with, with large data or large data for not being a fortune 500 company, you know, hundreds yeah. of terabytes of data. Uh, and even my organizations that I, that I worked with, we exercised good data practices and, uh, we had clients that we brought on and we said, you either meet these data practices or we will not work with you. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, we won't take your money because we're not going to be held liable and nor are we going to deal with the headache that comes with you neglecting infrastructure. Uh, so we brought clients on and, and said, these are the rules. We, we get X amount of budget per year. You pay us X amount as well, but you'll never have a problem. And yeah. Clickety clackety on the Gateron greens. Yes, skull noticed. Ah, <laughs> uh, I love these keys. <laughs> uh, I I hate what I've become too because I I was working on uh, some cherry browns earlier today and I went, gosh, these just feel just a little bit mushy now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm gonna have to do all the keyboards. It's like no. <laughs> uh, yeah, raid is not a backup. Uh. Incremental backups can be a backup, but you also need to take full backups from time to time. And offsite backups need to be a thing. And uh, non-concurrent passwords need to be a thing. Don't use the same root password on your backup server as you do for your main file server. Because guess what? If they have access to one, it means they have access to both. Yeah, I was uh, I was getting some training for, from somebody at work recently. And, uh, and, you know, they had this great, handmade curated document that had a lot of blank templates for some of the work I was doing and all this sort of stuff. And I said, Hey, you know, can I get that from you? Like mm -hmm. rather than struggling and fussing <laughs> around, can I just get that from you? Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. They sent it to me without vetting it really. And it had like all of their credentials for all of these like different accounts on it. And I was like, uh, <laughs> You should really consider this before you're giving all this out because we handle a lot of sensitive information. Um, and I was like, plus you should just not write this stuff down, especially somewhere like this. Yeah. It's one thing to have it be vulnerable to outside attacks, but to yeah. just have it in something that you're handing out to people. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, and oh, wow. uh, Michael. Yeah, Michael points out uh, certs don't use passwords. Yeah, you can get. Uh, that's how my uh, backup and main server communicate. My backup and my file server communicate is just over a, a secure certificate connection. Uh, so the 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 servers trust each other, but they also don't share the same password. Uh, however, in my example, if hackers are able to get root access to one of those boxes, they inherently have access to the other box. And so, yeah, it, it, I'm not gonna lie, you know, security teams, it, it's, no, it's no joke at, at how complicated it can be. But I'm always blown away by how many companies are hit by things like this. And, and in this case, this is uh, Revil wanting Quanta to give them money so they'll just they just won't leak the data, but 
there's a number of companies and organizations and businesses and governments and whatnot that have been crypto locked. And they said, we're literally shut down because we don't have a working backup. And that number astounds me. Well, yeah. It right. does, but it, sh it, it shouldn't, but it does. Because I, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen the budgets. I've been in those systems. I've, I've, I've worked with them and I know the money doesn't always go there. Well, this is still kind of what we were talking about earlier about, well, how I sort of mentioned that the technology evolves faster than it can be regulated. And the truth is the technology has evolved faster than what standard business praxis has kept up with. I mean, we got the old guards still in charge and most of them can barely operate their smartphone, you yep. know? And that's about as intuitive as I can give my smartphone to my freaking one-year-old and the kid knows how to use it for God's sake. Yep. But some of these guys that are making million dollar decisions every day, they couldn't freaking send an email without accidentally, you know, putting in half a password to some sensitive information or right. sending a freaking picture of their nutsack or something, you know, it's like, it's just ridiculous what we are willing to deal with in terms of the advancement of technology yeah. in tandem with business. I mean, Correct. we have very few technologically literate people making the kinds of business decisions, you know, yeah. obviously there are big tech businesses, but again, I blame it all on the accountants. You guys can go back and listen to every episode of Crab and Peter. I'm pretty sure I blame accountants for something in every one of them. <laughs> they certainly need to be held held accountable. <laughs> I mean, when they become the CEOs of these businesses and they just yeah. refuse to, uh, you know, I don't know. This is a long rabbit hole. And I don't necessarily want to <laughs> spend the next I was, hour. I was gonna go, how much information it. am I going to divulge here? Hold on. Uh, <laughs> on on my way out the door, I told my old organization, stop pretending yeah. like you're the smartest people in the room. Exactly. And this is honestly, your story is what makes me think about it was just making me think about this. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go any deeper than that, uh, than management were micromanaging to the point where the department leads the myself as the CIO uh, and and various other other leads in the organization were basically handcuffed because all we were was essentially glorified babysitters for our our staff right and i i couldn't make any decisions i could i couldn't spend 30 dollars without having to go to the ceo for approval at one point right and what kind it's of like garbage I, is that and it's like i know? i i maintain a 1.2 million dollar budget and by the way i'm under every single year and i can tell you if we need $10,000 worth of stuff or $20 in stuff or if overtime is authorized because guess what? I can balance my budget. I'm good at that. I'm really dang... So again, without going too much into detail, I told them on the way out the door in a, in a, in a board meeting, stop pretending you're the smartest people in the room. You hired people to run different aspects that you're not an expert in. Let them do it. To which they completely ignored me and now the whole system's in a sham. But... <sighs> Yeah, exactly. And some of the stories you've told me about the follow-ups of that, it's just like, mm -hmm. good, they got what they deserve. Like, I, I, I hate this. Like, yeah. either everybody needs to be brought up to, like, base computer literacy, or you need to begin to pay and respect the computer literate people 
appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are lots of people who m- make great money in tech, but then there are a lot of people who it, it doesn't matter. They they could have they could do their jobs so well, and they're like, well, what are you even doing? What are we paying you for? And it's like, yeah. well, I keep this place running so smoothly, you don't even know. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, that's uh, there's a double standard that's always in place for uh, facilities, IT, as well as a number of different departments, uh, and that is everything's uh, or uh, nothing's working. What do I pay you for? Versus, uh, you guys don't look like you have anything to do. What do I pay you for? And it's this double-edged sword of I'm good at my job, so everything works. So you think that I'm lazy because I'm not actively doing anything or, you know, whatever else versus everything's broken. What did I pay you for? You're supposed to be maintaining this crap. And and it happens with facilities. It happens with technology. Yeah. It happens with, you know, all, all over the, the spectrum of the overperformers are punished because they're good at their jobs. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's kind of I don't know where this whole kind of culture came from too. But in my industry, one of the big things is people always acting like they can save some money and do the job themselves. Mm-hmm. And well, I could send an email, so I gotta do your job or whatever. It's like, okay, go ahead and just do my job for me then. And when you screw up and you need to pay more money to solve it than yeah. you would to just have done it right in the first place. Uh, I'm going to yep. kick you while you're down because yep. you're an idiot. Yep. Uh, uh, and just... someone someone higher up in the chat said it. Uh, it comes from a mentality that IT is just a cost center or facilities are just a cost center. Or And while, yes, IT costs money. It costs money to have good security, good equipment, up-to-date equipment, up-to-date standards, smart people who know what they're doing, run your updates, have backups. It's all expensive. It costs yeah. money. Yeah, but the cost of having it is lower than the cost of needing it after the fact. Yeah, <laughs> and that's one thing that a lot of people don't get. They they just kind of skirt along until they get bit in the ass. Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. I see people are like, "Man, how do developers like command six digit salaries at all these like tech startups?" And I'm like, "Because you're too freaking lazy to learn what they do." Right. If everybody knew how to do what they do, they wouldn't command six-digit freaking salaries. Right. <laughs> these uh, yeah, my my brother-in-law uh, got a master's degree in in computer or software engineering, essentially, and yeah, he's very near that on an entry-level position. Yeah. Yeah. For... <laughs> yeah. One of my friends went to like uh, a twelve-week boot camp and then came out and got a job making six figures. Right. And everyone's like, what? What did you do to, do to earn that? And they're just like, I know what I'm doing. Right. I do it well. Like, <laughs> it's just like, you know, I don't know. Obviously, if everybody knew how to do it, you know, then yeah. these jobs wouldn't be in such demand and people wouldn't be making $125,000 a year in an entry level position to do them at some tech startup, you know? Right. Like, they'd be worth $40,000 a year. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, or if, you good work, Lord. or if you work for state government, they still pay you forty thousand dollars a year. <laughs> yeah, isn't that freaking crazy? Like, dude, that's why I, I know people that are in government. Like yeah. my buddy over uh, from my podcast, Game Devs Quest. Like he does uh, software development for local government, and he makes like 
almost yeah. nothing. Yeah. He's got good benefits, sure. He loves his job, he loves his team. But Nothing's, like Yeah. But uh I'm like, man, you go to work for a startup. People are always telling him, like, come work for uh, come, come work at the startup, come work at that startup, apply here, apply there. Yeah. And obviously it's a lot more competitive, but he could like literally triple his salary. <laughs> like, <laughs> John says, Nobody listened to Rhett. I want to keep my job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, John. We didn't mean to call you out specifically. Oh, my bad. John bro. went to a 12-week boot camp, and now... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to uh, Apple. Some Apple news. Well, that one was Apple-related. This news. is directly Apple. Uh, Apple had their Spring Forward event yesterday, their introduction of some new hardware. Uh, kind of a mixed bag. Uh, they came out with a couple new models of an iPad Pro. They have a, a, an 11 inch and a 13 inch, I believe are the sizes. Uh, but probably the, the flagship announcement was the iMac. Uh, the iMac is an all new redesigned form factor. It is using Apple Silicon and starting price of $1,300. So it's expensive. Uh, it's a 24-inch model uh, with a 4.5K Retina display. Uh, so very, very good resolution for the size. It is only ever so slightly larger than the 21.5-inch current generation Mac or uh, iMac as far as width and height. But they've done away almost entirely with the bezel, which means they're able to fit a 24-inch screen into a 21.5-inch form factor. Uh, the chin still remains because, well, that's where all the electronics are because, well, they're using Apple Silicon and they decided to use the M1, which is the same processor used now in the Mac Mini, the MacBook Air, the MacBook Pro, the iPad Pro, and, uh, and now the iMac. So... Linus did a great video. He published it earlier today. Uh, watched his his uh, take on it. I watched Epos's Vox uh, take on the the iPad, and watched a couple other videos here and there. Uh, I kind of sit like as I usually do, kind of moderately in the middle of of all of those <laughs> those comments. Uh, starting with the iPad, in that the M1 crammed into an iPad is a baller of a tablet. However, it's still hamstrung by the fact that it's not Mac OS. It's still not a computer. It's still not, in my mind, a fully-fledged creative device. It is more of a consumption and light creativity device, but it's not for production. It, it's not for, this can be my mobile movie or video editing rig. It is not a all-in-one DJ setup. It is not the only machine you need for photo editing because the software support isn't there and the form factor isn't there. Uh, you either hook it up to a keyboard and you use it kind of like a laptop or you take the keyboard off and you use it like a tablet or like a drawing pad. And there's really no in-between. So it's hamstrung by having iPad OS still. It, it doesn't have the software support. Uh, then you move to the MacBook, and the MacBook is also hella powerful, has full macOS support, but the one thing I find myself 
needing and wanting on my MacBook Pro that I've really never wanted in a laptop before is a touchscreen. Is I can now run iPad and iOS apps natively on Mac OS, but I have to use the trackpad on the bottom to kind of guess where I'm touching on the screen instead of just touching the screen. And so it takes all of the utility out of being able to use iPad apps on a, a laptop form factor. And then we come to the all new iMac available in six amazing colors. <laughs> uh, well, six colors and silver. Uh, and if you didn't catch what the six colors are, they're the six colors out of the original Apple logo, the rainbow logo. Uh, but here we have the new iMac. Beautiful machine. And I think a great example of Apple double speak. Are you ready? Made for professionals. That's why we put a pastel border around every single one to mess with your with the user's color perception made for professionals that's why we took the ethernet jack out and charge you two hundred dollars to add one into the power brick uh made for professionals two usb ports <laughs> like at least this one has a headphone jack um <laughs> but it's a beautiful machine but at the end of the day all they did was take the MacBook M1 hardware and put it in a desktop with a fancy screen. And mind you, they're still charging $1,300 for the privilege of this, uh, which is the same price that I spent on my MacBook Pro. And the MacBook Pro is worth its weight in gold as far as I'm concerned at that $1,300 price point. It is probably the best laptop I've ever owned. But you're not really impressing me by taking one of the fastest low wattage chips that's ever been made and just sticking it in a giant case with a, yeah. with a nice screen on it. Well, this is a prime example of the freaking accountants I was talking about earlier. I mean, this is what Apple does better than any other tech company is they have a huge innovation in this case, like the M1 chip, but then at, rather than iterate on it and see how far they can push it, it's time to recoup, baby. So right. they play the safe bet. They slap it into a piece of hardware. They trim away features and they slap a huge price tag on it because people got to buy Apple. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And they see how much they can freaking squeeze their customer base for. Because... There are the Apple users that want to use Apple, that get something from their products. Mm -hmm. They use them in the professional settings. And then there are the Apple users that buy them because of the logo, well, because, because of, of the, the logo white cord or... on your headphones, because of the freaking... Right. I... Apple, is, Apple is what should be College 101 on how to market a brand, uh, because... Apple is a brand. They they have yeah. they have a following unlike any other, uh, especially in the tech space. People got to own Apple like people have to own Nikes. Right. You know what I mean? It's like it's the same thing. Nikes it's or this... Chanel or you know you go down the uh, those you know fashion icon uh, products and yeah. you know is that is that a real Prada bag? Right. Boy, is that, a, is that it, one of the new iMacs? Ooh. And you know what? Oh. A product bag doesn't do 
anything that my garbage wish.com laptop bag doesn't do. You know what I mean? Like right. I bought this thing for seven ninety nine, and it does what your seven hundred dollar Prada bag does. Yeah, like it holds my crap. And this is the thing with Apple. Like right. obviously, they can make great products. Yeah. Okay, and I'm not saying this isn't a great product, but it's for the people who are going to pay for it because it's got a nice fancy half-eaten Apple right. logo on the back. Right. Uh, now, now, Fotes says thirteen hundred dollars for that. What I will say is the base spec essentially is a MacBook Pro 13-inch with the same 8-core uh, ARM M1 processor, 8 gigs of RAM, and 250 gigs of storage, uh, but with a 4.5K display instead of a 13-inch 2560 display. Honestly, it's not that bad of a deal for $1,300. It's really not. However, when you get into the SKUs that actually start to make sense because the entry-level SKU only has two Thunderbolt 4 ports uh, rather than more connectivity being a desktop and being a permanently mounted system. You would expect a lot more things to be permanently plugged into it and not have to be a dongle whore on the back of your brand new $2,000 machine. Uh, the price of these will regularly jump to $2,000 or more because that's the only way to get 16 gigs of RAM or a terabyte or more of storage. Uh, in fact, Apple is charging $800 for a two terabyte drive in this. That's a $300 drive, <laughs> like like bar none. And that's retail cost. Uh, I bought a two terabyte PCIe 3.0 drive uh, about two weeks ago. It was $189. But Jeff, you're paying for the privilege of not having to put it in yourself and right. never being able to take it out again. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I've i long been a, a defender of a lot of the Apple tax because when you actually compare apples to Apple, get it? Uh, when you actually compare apples to apples, they've often made sense. Uh, sure. The, the, Mac, the last Mac Pro was one of the first ones in a long time that I said that is inexcusable garbage as far as what they're charging. Right. Uh, $8,000 starting price or $6,000 starting price for an eight core Intel Xeon with 16 gigs of RAM and an RX 580. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I don't care what innovation went into it. I don't care the engineering costs. I don't care how fancy your grill is. You're charging $8,000 for a $1,000 PC. Like, let's yeah. be freaking real for a minute. And this was after yeah. Ryzen came out and you could get an eight core Ryzen 1700 for three for 330 bucks. Like, yeah. like the performance just was not there. Uh, when you scaled it up and when you started adding things together as far as like what other professional OEMs were doing, such as like HP and Dell, the Mac Pro actually did make sense from a, from a performance standpoint, but the base cost of $6,000 was just a slap in the face. Um, yeah. I've seen Again. less and less justification for costs out of Apple the, the later on since the Mac Pro that we go. They, uh, and I mean, and... what is the money going to? You know what I mean? Be, like, what is the money going to? Because they're one of the most profitable profitable companies in tech, and they're paying their manufacturer workers nothing, right? In most of their factories, right? So, if yeah, if you're going to tell me that, well, we need the money so that we can keep funding innovation, 
okay, fine. But I want to see that your CEO isn't making 120 times what your average worker is making. Put right. that money into your average worker because those are the people that are driving innovations. Yeah. Now that Steve Jobs is a freaking skeleton in the ground, for God's sake. Like, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I'll say, and I'll say it again. My 13-inch MacBook Pro M1 is the best laptop I've ever bought. It, and it just is. Even though I got the base model, it's it's 8 gigs of RAM and it's 250 gigs of storage. It's not a powerhouse. If I had spent $1,800, I'd still call it the best laptop I ever bought. Uh, yeah. But, and you know why? Because, but because also, though, yeah. the M1 was innovating. Yeah. Like, when, when it came out, that was all we talked about that day. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like there, and there's a reason because it was exciting. Yeah, this isn't this isn't exciting. It it's a cool form factor. The colors sure. the colors are hideous. I'm just gonna come out and say it. I don't even care about the colors. I think that that's a weak decision for, you know, for for what they're shilling the product as. But you look at it, little Rhett over here. Okay, yeah, I kind of like the violet colored one. Yeah. Why not? I guess, but but what does that cost? <laughs> uh, it's thirteen hundred dollars. In fact, uh, some of the colors are only available in their higher SKUs. Oh, Jesus! They're extra. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Uh, there's there's like no there's like four colors that are available in the base SKU. One of them is silver. I think one of them is that like weird yellow. There's tangerine, and then one of the two blue or purple ones. So they put the most bullshit. Co- okay. Yeah. No. And and then you get red, uh, green, or or whatever. Yeah. You get those other three only if you buy the sixteen hundred dollar skewer up. <laughs> All right. They. Grab they're, your shovel. We gotta go wake Steve Jobs up. They're they're taking a book right out of Fortnite here. Uh, yes, exactly. With, with, with cosmetic DLC. The only thing that these damn computers are missing is a stupid dance animation. For God's sake, and we're right. only a few years away from that. Right. They're, before these things are gonna be flossing in our face, you know. <laughs> Little Carlton. Yeah. Or dabbing or whatever. Little dab. Yeah. 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 Um. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like made for professionals. Then give us silver and black. I've never walked into a recording studio and looked at a rose gold monitor before. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it's frustrating. It's very, very frustrating to see number one how good these computers probably are. They're, sure. they're great computers, but there's so much marketing BS and and whatnot behind it. I mean, the Mac Mini starts at $700 for the same 8-core M1 that's in the $1,300 Mac uh, iMac. Well, and the big question with that is, right, is it like, what do you get when you buy the Mac Mini? You get the Mac Mini, right? You get the Mac Mini, you get 8 gigs of RAM, and I think you get 120 gigs of storage instead of 250, if I remember right on the base model. Okay. Um, And obviously, like, I take it, you plug it into the wall, you get power to it, but mm -hmm. does it have a monitor? doesn't have a monitor. Does it have a keyboard? But a 24-inch 4K monitor is not $700. That's that's fair, but a person buying the Mac Mini... You, You get an Ethernet port. We didn't even get into that. 
<laughs> I just feel as though there is probably a larger percentage of Apple consumers who are going to buy the Apple Pro monitor stand. Yeah, remember that, right? I'm not making that up, right? Like that was a thing. The Apple yeah, the thousand dollar monitor, monitor stand. stand. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Okay, thank yeah. God, you were so silent on that. Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, I, I was reading chat and <laughs> I came back and all I heard was, "Do you remember that?" And I went, "Yeah." Uh... You thought I was going on a tear, but I really needed you to help me with the layup here. Something moral win. So I, I stopped paying attention. <laughs> anyway, the point being, Mac uh, Apple consumers there's a larger percentage of them that are going to spend more money to use their stuff right mm -hmm. so uh you know you and i yeah we can get our 24 inch 4k monitor um hell maybe we even get sec something second hand or we got friends with youtube channels that just hook us up all the time and <laughs> i just gave you a titan xp I, what do you want from me i said that we got friends with youtube channels that hook us good up good lord that was i was trying to like i was trying to high five you without you like high fiving you, you don't buy your own damn lights <laughs> <laughs> trying to give you a compliment without giving you a compliment outright damn it <laughs> it bit me in the ass over here <laughs> Jeff, come to think of my monitor is too big too. I gotta like, I gotta move my mouse so far in order to do anything. Mm -hmm. Yep, it's not working. That's a, boy, that's a problem. <laughs> no. Oh, it really is. Anyway, we could dunk on Apple. I could dunk all on day. Apple all day. Like I said, at the end of the day, these are probably going to be fantastic machines, but the Apple marketing. I'm having a real hard time with a number of decisions in this one. They, they've they've gone even more extreme with their uh, arbitrary tiering between right. units. So right. the base model gets you two Thunderbolt 4 ports and a power jack and a headphone jack uh, and a power brick with nothing else. If you no. buy the one that's, is it two or $300 more? I don't quite remember. It's, it's either 1500 or 1600. Uh, you get two extra USB three type C's. Uh, so for a total of four, so two Thunderbolt fours and two USB threes. Uh, and you get an ethernet port built into the, the power brick. So you can have gigabit or I believe it's, I believe it's even 10 gigabit connectivity. Oh, good. Uh, also the upgraded one comes with a, an upgraded keyboard with a touch ID on it instead of just the regular wireless keyboard. Mm. So I think the lower model is existing just to get people to upgrade to the higher model. Almost at like, like Halo zero products. cost. Halo products are like, this thing no i don't know no, I'm done apple, with this. apple does the yeah thanks uh <laughs> no apple actually i believe does the inverse of halo products what they do is they make the base model so unappealing and they put the next one up just close enough that if you like well if you wanted the keyboard anyway it's only a hundred dollars more to go with the one you get an extra gpu core you get gigabit ethernet with it you get the better keyboard you get the and and so they go it's right there. You can just go ahead and jump up to that one. It they're using Halo, but to up upsell from lower tier products. Yeah, because and, they've and marketed themselves as a Halo product. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Apple is the Halo product. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. 
Uh, I mean, again, this is my problem, man. It's it's bean counters. It's people sitting back there. How much money can we squeeze from the consumer? And the problem with Apple consumers is they're going to give it. Yep. You know, I just want for once, I want Apple to just get smacked when they do this marketing gimmick. Because the thing is, their consumers aren't necessarily stupid. You know what I mean? Here we are. We spent the last 25 minutes talking about it, for God's sake. I right. mean, I guess shame on us in some aspect of it all. But it's like, it sucks because a company that is as innovative as Apple has been for the last 40 years or so, like, I, I just wish that that they would, I don't know, treat most of their consumers with, like, some modicum of respect. It's like, you know what? Right. People might pay your prices, but, right. like, let's not dance around what this is. But, like, uh, as I said, I, I was able to justify a lot of Apple's pricing in the past when you actually compared the quality of components and, sure. and whatnot. People went, well, I could build a gaming PC for less than that. Yeah, but you're not building a gaming PC. We're, we're talking uh, an Apple with this Intel processor, with this yeah. graphics chip, with this type of memory, with this yeah. power supply, inside of this chassis, with this monitor. Like, let's compare apples to apples if you want to go down that road. And it usually worked out within a couple of percentage points. And, yeah. and it's like, see, now you may not well, want all of that stuff in your gaming PC, but that doesn't stop Apple from producing it and selling yeah. it to you. And then so, and then within the last 15 years or so too, uh, you, you really can't divorce Apple products from their ecosystem. I mean, no. and the value and ease of use of their ecosystem to some people is worth the money. And yeah. they've done such a good job. There are people that I, that I trust their opinions thoroughly and and they say i ain't working off the apple ecosystem okay fine yeah like they did something right right and you know obviously that's worth some money too so i'm i'm not here to say apple is hell incarnate or whatever yeah. but yeah i just i just hate marketers and accountants and yep and well the like accountants that. are going to be happy because the the point i was going for was do you realize what the profit share or the uh the cost to profit ratio will be profit margin. That's the word I'm looking for. The profit margin will be on these new desktops. It's no. going to be absurd. Oh, for sure. Because, and we knew kicking Intel to the curb would probably generate more profit share for Apple as far as their margins go. But my gosh, you're looking $2,000 for, they literally sell 90% of the same equipment in the Mac mini for, 700 it's the same equipment yeah it's the same yeah. parts well we put a brand new speaker system into there that has stereophonic sound and does that no you didn't it's a good speaker I, I i have no doubt it's a good speaker i guarantee it's not going to be sound or directional uh emulation sound uh from a down firing speaker i i guarantee it's not going to be uh the best machine or you know the the best screen that money can buy it's going to be a really good screen it's going to be a really good computer but at the end of the day it's the same processor in the 700 hundred dollar machine yep and that's where most of the cost is at so yeah um are we still on this apple story or we got time for some uh all right on the next apple story rather or we got time for uh some super chats that we missed. Uh, we got some time for super chats. Why don't you go ahead and do those? And uh, I'm going to finish off this beer and open my next one. 
Okay. I I don't know what we missed. I think we might have missed Michael Strout's way up at the top. Oh my god, people stop mounting network drives to a letter in Windows. Uh yeah, I, I, I actually responded to that one. I didn't see that one oh. as a super chat, so I might have missed that one. It was a super um, chat. Michael Strauss, he goes on to say network location work better and scripting is harder to ran on them. Gotcha. Uh, and you did look like you responded to that. So we'll move yes. on. Thank you, Michael Strauss, for your super chat. We got Denvera1G1. I was able to pull a miracle out of my crack by securing unobtainium AMD APU desktops and laptops close to MSRP. So C-Suite and, uh, excuse me, so C-Suite said, why not spend next year's budget now? It was so easy this time. Face palm emoji. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I've lived that we life were, too. Sorry to yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that was what he was referring to when we were talking about work. Uh, Kyle Klecken, Apple is the victorious secret of the electronics world. Hey, that's a really good analogy. Yep, there, there's a number of them. They're the, uh, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of the New York fashion brands. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like the yeah. Prada, like the Chanel, like the. Yeah, exactly. Like the, I don't know anymore. I'm They've sorry. turned themselves really into hard. a into a Coach chic one? product brand. Yeah, uh, exactly. That that it's it's just as much of a fashion statement and right. a status symbol as it is a right. piece of technology. I mean, again, I feel like Nike's is like the perfect the perfect analogy because mm -hmm. Nike started as something that had like a function, like beyond fashion, right? Like fashion was fashion. It's it's yeah, it's clothes. You can wear them, but they also kind of serve a purpose beyond like keeping you warm or right. helping your feet. Like Apple started because, Hey, we got this shit that needs to be done. Nike started like, Hey, we got runners that need to run fast. And you know, here's our waffle iron shoes that yeah. work. As, as I look down and see my Nike shoes that I'm wearing. I have no problem with Nike <laughs> shoes, no, man. No. <laughs> Nike has been super kind to me over my, over my life. Yes. Uh, but, but what it is is that they started with this product that had a function and it worked for a specific thing and then people are like hey that's really cool Th they wanted to start buying the shoes for more than what they were originally for and now nike is in and of itself fashion it's like yep. a status symbol it's the same thing as like having a certain car having a certain smartphone in your pocket or having a certain brand bag like it's a status symbol it shows people that like you're in you got the idea you're up with the 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 pop culture mm -hmm. or the modern trends you got the money for it like um and apple's the same thing man like i remember like people had no business spending you know x amount of dollars they're buying the latest iphone every single year you know what i mean mm -hmm. and not only that like you they wouldn't be caught dead with the white uh, with the white earplugs not in their ears you know what i mean right. like that's how dedicated they were to the brand image like i don't know anyway yeah it's like the victoria's Secret. that's a really good analogy. modern days um, it's one of the airpods but because you lost the other one right yeah <laughs> Uh, Denvera one g one again. I was upset with the planned obsolescence of the fan. Just use a single heat pipe that runs to the top of the screen. Fully passive, maybe sixty-five watts TDP. You're not wrong, and and uh, yeah, there. I have been upset with Apple over right to repair and planned obsolescence for a number of different things over the years, and they keep going in a direction that I don't want them to go. And that is more and more glued together, permanently encased 
non-user repairable, everything soldered on board. And where they could do a passive heatsink. Why? Because they do it in the freaking MacBook Air. It's 100% passive. Oh, and by the way, the same chip as is in the, the iMac. Yet, let's go ahead and put a fan inside the iMac because why not? Yep. Yeah. Couple, <laughs> couple of heat, it's a 35 watt TDP chip. You know, maybe 40 if it's really pushing things, but you don't need that much heat dissipation. And it could very easily just, uh, yeah, a couple of heat pipes soldered straight to it. If you're not going to let us open it, then make it so I never have to open it. Seems pretty simple. Exactly. <laughs> All right. All next, right. next beer. Uh, I have from Block 15 down in Corvallis, Oregon, uh, the Cosmic Cold Brew. This is a stout cold conditioned on coffee. That looks delicious. Yes. So this one's uh, also 7%. Boosting this brew deep into space, we partnered with Bespoke Coffee Roasters to wake up our Nebula Stout with a 24-hour cold extraction on freshly roasted coffee beans. Cosmic Cold Brew perfectly pairs decadent chocolate and caramel roast character with a rich cup of java. I do Damn like it. their Nebula Stout, too. I didn't realize that that was the base for this one. So now I'm really excited. That sounds delicious. Uh, personally, me... Going Safeway brand LaCroix, baby. Maybe oh, you've you heard go. of it. Soleil, 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 Soleil. Um, <laughs> anyway, lime flavor. I don't have any more alcohol in my house. <laughs> mm. uh, put some gin in it. I don't, yeah, it's upstairs. <laughs> this house is too big to just make quick trips outside of the studio to go grab something yeah, real quick. That's, that's my house, too. <laughs> Take me five minutes. Ah. <sighs> I poured I was it like games John. last night. Dang it. <laughs> oh, yeah, you did. You He'd be proud. Wait for this one to simmer down a little bit. I was playing games last night and I had to use the restroom. And literally, the bathroom is on almost the furthest, like the most amount of steps I can take in my house from one side <laughs> to the other. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like the worst thing ever, <laughs> yep. especially in the middle of the night. No, so we, we live in a split level and our garage is on a third level by itself. And, uh, uh, my off my studio is in the basement here, and so I have to walk up the two flights of stairs to get onto the main floor, walk across the entire house, and then down into the garage in order to get into my storage, which is where I keep all of like the cases and parts that I'm not using in my studio at the moment. So anytime I have to go like start a new project, I end up making like seven trips back and forth between here and the garage. <laughs> I don't like the way that Skull wrote my drink down. He's like, Safeway Soleil Lime. By the way, Skull, I don't want to be that guy, but there's an L at the end, baby. I don't know if you Soleil. can see that. Yeah, Soleil. Soleil. You got the Soleil. Soleil. Mm. But I will say, damn, it's crisp. <laughs> oh, nothing like a little bit of crisp lime-flavored water in your gullet. There we go. Not as much it coffee as I was like a, expecting. Man, that beer looks amazing. I I, I hate you. I hate you. Oh. Okay. The coffee kicks in late, which is weird. But that's really good coffee. Oh, I love dark beers. 
<laughs> then Reverend posts, Rev, shotgunning one pink lemon shandy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rev. Man, I love a good lemon shandy, though. Yep. All right, moving on to some beer news. Uh, New Belgium is doing something a little bit odd, uh, I, I guess you would say. And I, I actually really, really like it and kind of want to try it. Um, maybe if I can get some, I'll get some over to John too, because I'd love to see his reaction to this. But New Belgium uh, of Fat Tire uh, Belgian White fame is making a beer that intentionally tastes terrible. Uh, so what they are trying to bring attention to is climate change. And what if we made a beer out of resources, out of the only resources that would be around if climate changed to the point where hops and some other ingredients were not as plentiful or just flat out were not available? what would we be able to make a beer out of? And it's things like dandelions and smoked water and, uh, where's it at? Uh, Post-specific <sighs> taste made with scant ingredients that would be available to brewers if we fail to prevent climate change. Smoke-tainted water, dandelions, and drought-resistant grains. The resulting taste is reportedly quite dismal, and that's the point. Yeah, I mean, you know, truth be told, they mentioned dandelions here. Has you know how many people in chat have tasted dandelion wine? That's something that uh, you can make yourself if you're mm -hmm. ever so inclined. I collect dandelions every year for it, and uh, it's god awful um, for the most part, unless you're really good at making it. It's pretty bad. It definitely does the trick, but um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the Matrix when you know dozer or tank whatever he's like it's good for two things degreasing engines and killing brain killing cells, brain cells. <laughs> it's like that's what they drink in a post-apocalyptic future now right. we're going to be drinking dandelion wine and beer made out of smoke tainted water you know how all ipas taste the same what if when they were coming up with the taste for ipas they got it wrong which is why all ipas taste the same <laughs> which is why all ipas taste the same right <laughs> which is why ipas taste like nothing Right. <laughs> uh, oh mouse you died too young that movie is so good yes and you know what though i'm gonna say it. the sequels they get more hate than they deserve no they don't no they don't roll call in the chat the sequels get more hate than they Who's, deserve who thinks the matrix sequels are an abomination to what the first one was and who thinks they are decent and would binge watch all three together? Uh, before we get to that, Kyle, uh, Kyle Cluckin ch chimes in for $2. Thank you again, Kyle. I like dandelion tea and coffee. It's it's roasted root. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, dandelion tea, it's definitely uh, in the roots. Dandelion wine utilizes the flower, too. There's almost the whole plant of dandelions is edible. Mm -hmm. um, and they use these the greens and salads and stuff like that. It's actually a really great plant for anybody that's into like foraging and things like that. It grows in your yard. So get out there, collect as much as you can and dry them and you can use them in all sorts of stuff. Oh man, so far we're so winning. So far I'm here, losing. Jeff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. I'm not going to sit here and say that 
Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions are amazing movies on the caliber of Matrix One. Mm-hmm. They are not on the caliber of Matrix One. In right. fact, I'd say, yeah, they're kind of a disservice to Matrix One. But they get far more hate than they deserve, and I think they are fun in their own right. They're they're definitely okay. Like I don't hate them. I don't actively hate them. If they're on, I, I'll probably watch them. Um, but the thing is, just like let's take the original Star Wars and then let's take the Star Wars prequels. The Star Wars prequels for a lot of it's people a bad hold example. up. No, no. Follow me. Follow me for just a minute here. Okay. <laughs> follow me for a minute because I think you're going to agree with this statement. Um, the original Star Wars, the effects hold up today because everything was shot practically. Everything was, was live camera effects. Uh, okay. very I little, you know, no computer animation, nothing like that. The first matrix was shot actually fairly low budget and they developed camera effects and digital effects specifically for this film. Bullet time was not a thing until they sent a whole bunch of of digital cameras in a a 360-degree loop and had actors perform stunts in the middle of that and then wrote software to to throw those all together into a smooth rotation. That's why we get the shots that we do out of the Matrix. Um, Those were all shot live action. They were green screen and they were interposited onto things later, but... That's why those effects hold up is there's actually actors yeah. in the middle of that without any digital effects on them other than removing the wires. Yeah. Um, and it does a fantastic job of with world building because they don't have to sit there and explain the world to you. They, they just live in the world and the world is what it is. And the world is a character unto its own that you have to discover on your own. Move on to the Matrix sequels and the Star Wars prequels. They say, we have much bigger budgets now. We want to do this kind of scene. Well, what would it take on on location? Well, we'd have to bring out, you know, 70 people plus a safety team, plus a stunt crew, plus this, plus that to to do all this kind of stuff. Or we could just throw it onto seven animators desks and give them a year and a half to develop it. And they said, well, let's do that. Uh, And it's nowhere more obvious than in the uh, Neo fighting a thousand Agent Smiths where... The not a single part of that scene is practical. It was literally 100% CG and it looks CG and it looked yeah. CG in 2001 when it came out. Yeah. And uh, so here's the thing though like that scene looks like dog shit today. Yeah. It looks like hot dog shit. But am I the only one here that thinks him fighting a thousand Agent Smiths is so badass? Like I watched that, and like whether or not it makes sense <laughs> to the yeah. to the what they were trying to accomplish from the first one, I don't know. Yeah. But the idea that he's this virus that got out of control, man, I love that scene. And then I love the ending in Revolutions when they're all just lined up and he's facing off with like you know uh, Smith Prime or whatever. Yeah. Like that is so sick. It's it's dude, it's anime loved, is what it is. I it's, loved it's, the idea behind it. I hated the execution of it. Oh yeah. The, it that's, and that's my bad. biggest problem is, is even in the theaters, I'm going, that doesn't look good. E- even in the day watching it in the theater, I went, yeah, I, for, for me, it was so bad. It broke the suspension of disbelief that I had watching the matrix as a movie. 
<laughs> like yeah. that's how bad the graphics were and 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 it's aged even worse like it's just awful today um yeah. and and i feel that a lot a lot of cgi some of it's really good but there were um there scenes of uh gosh what was that sandra bullock gravity whatever movie that oh, was. Oh, yeah. That one was just... Like, it won awards for visual effects, and it's some of the worst visual effects I have ever seen. Well, they didn't age well. See, what? and I think you hit on it earlier, like, the key is using them sparingly, right? right. Like, um, having those constraints, having to hold back is obviously what kind of spurs innovation in that regard. It mm -hmm. spurs the use of creative camera work and practical right. effects. Because... You look at movies that are, okay, Star Wars was a great example. Matrix 1 uh, was a great example. But look at Jurassic Park, for God's sake. Like, they yeah. use CGI that's pretty modern. And, okay, you watch it on, like, a 4K screen nowadays. Like, you can obviously tell. But, dude, I went and saw it in theaters a few years ago when they re-released for the 20-year the yeah. uh, anniversary or whatever. It still holds up because yes. it's got this brilliant mix of animatronics and CGI. And um, even like Lord of the Rings, too, is one of those great examples. Like, I love looking at movies that are right on the cusp of the, like, you know, I don't know, democratization of like CGI effects, for lack of a better term. Like Harry Potter one is kind of in that era. The Lord of the Rings movies are in that era mm -hmm. of like when to do something, you did practical effects, you mix it with CGI right. or you use CGI sparingly. And it looks so good, man. Right. Like, tell me you're watching Lord of the Rings, man. And, and Frodo's riding on the wagon next to Gandalf. You think he's a little person, but he's like 15 feet away. Genius. Yeah. Yeah, it it was forced perspective, and 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 that's what they did so well in a lot of those movies was they said, "How do we make the camera just put this onto film?" And rather than throwing it into a computer and shrinking Frodo or interposing them later, it's like let's shoot them on the same frame and make it look like they're that size, you know. Um, and so that's what worked so well in those movies and is because they stuck to practical effects. And and I'm not saying practical is always the answer and that digital effects no. are bad. And CGI should never be used because there's so much CGI in those movies. But the thing is, sure. uh, you look at the Orakai in Lord of the Rings original trilogy versus the orcs in The Hobbit. Yeah. And you get the same effect. You go, that's bad CGI. And there's no live actors under those costumes. There, there's not a thousand yeah. orc helmets being produced by Weta Workshop. It's 100% CGI, and they look like dog crap. And yeah. well, that's what's uh, even great about Star Wars. Somebody mentioned here, hand painted backgrounds like Star Wars, like some of those huge scenes inside the Death Star, like when the Emperor is landing. Those mm -hmm. are hand painted. Yeah, those are oil canvas or oil. It looks yeah. so good. Yeah. Um, but all this to say, a bunch of people chimed in on an unspoken sentiment that I had about the Matrix, which is the Animatrix is badass. Animatrix and is amazing. A hundred percent, dude. The world building in the Matrix, God, like I was so like, bad. oh, yeah. I was like, we need novels, we need video games, we need all this, dude. Remember yeah. the Enter the Matrix video game? I loved that video game. Yep. It was so yep. fun. I don't know if it holds up really, but it doesn't. I, um, I actually, I actually launched it today. Uh, oh, did I, you? Really? I, I was going through uh, some old ROMs that I had on the GameCube. It it doesn't hold up <laughs> yeah well um one could hope but yeah but uh but no uh yeah the 
the scenes in Star Wars with with the oil paintings in the background, they hold up because the camera's just capturing it on film. And it was really, really good yeah. oil paintings. Uh, and someone brought up uh, a couple of minutes ago, uh, The Mandalorian, uh, that The yeah. Mandalorian looks great. Do you know why The Mandalorian looks great? Is because they figured out a new way to... Yeah, their set is really cool. Their set is freaking amazing. And in fact, a lot of people are starting to uh adopt this method of filmmaking which is they have this giant screen behind them rather than a green screen so number one it makes lighting a lot easier because you don't have to light the green screen perfectly and then er erase green tints from actors and in, in post and and whatnot and the actors get to see the sets that they're interacting with all you have yeah. to do is you know make the ground match what your ground in the background is going to be and you film on a soundstage and and 80% of the post work is done for you. And the actors get a more immersive environment. And you do a lot more things practically. And it looks amazing. Yeah, it looks uh, great. So, I mean, it, it looks way better than... Now, I will say they Star Wars did go back to a lot of practical effects for, uh, for the new trilogy. Uh, so, love them or hate them. Yeah. Good story it's versus bad story. kind of... It's kind of part of how you get that sort of nostalgic vibe almost. Right. It, it feels a lot more like the original, even though the story wasn't nearly as good. Yeah. I will say this, though, about Star Wars. You brought them up. And uh, I watched the, uh, the the three prequels uh, just recently. And Phantom Menace holds up in an interesting way. Um, the CGI is pretty much all garbage all the way throughout. <laughs> Except in the Phantom Menace, I think it's fairly tolerable. Yeah. Once you I get agree. to Attack of the Clones... Attack of the Clones, it looks so god awful. Like, um, what's uh, yeah, Attack of the Clones? That's the one where uh, 3PO and R2 are going through the the droid assembly plant, and yeah, 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 uh, yeah, and On Geonosis, right? And and here's the thing your eye or your brain may not know the speed of gravity, <laughs> but your eyes know it's wrong when they see it. And yeah. one of the most immersion-breaking scenes for me is when 3PO is standing on a ledge, a door just opened, and they're like, oh my gosh, a robot-making factory, and uh, or a battle droid factory. And R2 comes up behind him and pushes him off the ledge. Uh, yeah. And, and C-3PO falls in the most unorganic way possible. He just goes, Foom! and it's like, that looked terrible. It looked, yeah. and, and again, <laughs> if you're talking about like immersion-breaking effects, that was one that's like, that's not real. Yeah, because your eye knows it's not real. Uh, when the Hulk is smashing Loki around, it looks really funny. But there's some scenes of the Hulk prancing around, and and gravity is not acting on him the way gravity should. That you're like, that's not real. As oh, good as the Avengers effects were, that's because that's magic. Okay. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know where I was going to go with that. But I was kind of impressed with um, Phantom Menace, kind of held up and then there's some stuff in revenge of the sith that's not that bad but uh attack of the clones was just like steaming hot pile of garbage yes yeah which is crazy because you know it's kind of directly responsible for the clone wars which is single-handedly like some of the best star wars ever correct um and um yeah there's other stuff i was going to say about that but i don't remember what so might be best just leave it Anyway, sounds like I won about the Matrix. Thank you guys for chiming in. Yeah, what I'll <laughs> what I'll close with on the Matrix. I don't even know how we got there. 
Uh, but uh, I'll close on the Matrix Question. with I would totally binge watch all nine oh, episodes. Post apocalypse. So yeah, post apocalypse. Okay, gotcha. Uh, I would totally binge watch all nine episodes of Animatrix and then the first Matrix. But I'll usually stop there if I just want to watch the Matrix. Yeah. Uh, because while the while the story was okay in two and three in, in uh, Revolutions and Reloaded, um, and and people went well it's just a jesus story and in fact he even like goes out on a crucifix kind of thing yeah it is kind <laughs> yeah. of a jesus story you know the it, it's the prophecy it's the one will save us and whatnot it's it's a trope as old as literature itself but it's the effects that break it for me it, it's it's where the matrix was groundbreaking in all of its practical and digital effects uh the 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 two new ones went a hundred percent the other direction and and they yeah. they actually regressed to some some bad trends in the industry of over cgiing a lot of scenes and not using practical effects and we'll just take care of it in post and well we can't get a thousand extras to look like agent smith well cool we'll just cgi the entire damn scene and yeah you know what what else i loved about the first one is that it's peak 90s Oh god! And yeah. the, like everything on Earth, like or in the Matrix, in the next movies, kind of loses its um, '90s vibe. Yeah. It's like they just kind of threw it, which is fine. But like it being 1999 in the movie felt like kind mm-hmm. of an important, like thematic element. You know, this idea that this is like this is the end of history in a way yeah. which is what they they which is what people really believed going into that time like after the cold war you know we Morpheus going the, the peak cold of human war. human civilization late 20th century <laughs> yeah i'm you know? starting to agree <laughs> like, and like yeah exactly yeah i definitely agree because after that you get 9-11 then you get freaking war on terror second gulf war war on drugs still going strong like yeah yeah oh god giant recession then you get a which pandemic one? it's like yeah exactly exactly it's like 1999 wasn't that bad i have know? lived through so many once in a lifetime <laughs> events in my adult life i am just done i know i know it should be smooth that, sailing uh, from here on to like 75 right it, right i hope so but it's not going to be right? did you see did you see that uh, Chicago Tribune opinion piece going around on Twitter today? And mm-hmm. it was like, writer so-and-so says that easy breezy millennials are going to be forced to grow up soon. <laughs> I was just like, oh, they're going to get a lot of shit for the use of easy breezy. <laughs> just sitting here enjoying my avocado toast. Uh, by the way, I, by the way, I grew up being told that I was Gen Gen Z or Gen X. Uh, and then somehow we eventually got lumped into millennials. And then it's like, no, no, no. Millennials were always your generation. The the next generation is Gen Z and, and, yeah. then, and then Zoomers and, and whatnot. It's like, I was told when I was growing up, I was Gen X. Yeah. And then suddenly I'm not. And, and even Steve is like being lumped into millennials. And he's like, whoa, 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 bro. <laughs> Steve, Steve is definitely out of it. I lumped him in that one time when we were doing the thing. Cause, uh, to be yeah. honest, Steve acts and looks younger than he is. Yes, yes. Steve is <laughs> no almost ten Steve. years my senior. Yeah, he told me they just like, oh shit, yeah, he's not a millennial. And well beyond what Red is. Like, like if if there's a line to be drawn, John, Steve, and myself are Gen X, and then Rhett would be a millennial. Yeah. If there's a line to be drawn, <laughs> it's somewhere in between those. 
Yeah. Um, I, that, that's true. Yeah. Um, I, I can sort of forgive the people for sort of shifting the, the generational sort of guidelines because as there are more like kind of generational like markers in history that have developed, like mm-hmm. it kind of shifts a little bit, you know, because I, I've heard that they, that the, one of the really kind of key identifying factors for millennials is like, we all have memories of nine 11, mm-hmm. but we were all not quite, well, we were all kids or not quite adults. Like we were all still, um, I, I was probably in high school, really close to adulthood. Uh, right. But you were still yeah. in high school. So I, I was in high school uh, during nine 11. That's true. Uh, but they're like, well, you've grown up with the internet your entire life. You, you, you know, everything you, that you did in, in school was on the internet. It's like, no, it, it was not. Right. Uh, none of our computers were networked in, in elementary or middle school. We had the internet in high school, a la the teachers, like 30, like there were like 35 computers in my high school and that was it. Yeah. Like we did not grow up on the internet. Uh, 99% of my class load was pen, paper, textbook. Like yeah. the internet wasn't the thing yet. It was there, but we were also told you have to learn the Dewey Decimal System because this Wikipedia thing's a piece of crap. Yeah, you got to learn how to properly cite sources. And, and by the way, that was in college. Yeah. <laughs> right. So... Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a weird thing. I try not to to look at it too much. I mean, there are a lot of generational gaps that have a huge swath. And millennials, mm-hmm. they say the millennial gap ranges from like 81 or 82 to 1996 or so. Yeah. Um, which like isn't that big in history because like the greatest generation is it has like a 20 year kind of gap. Boomers have like, you know, bo- boomers, they started at the end of World War II. Yeah. And then there's some people like- who are... Boomers were there like some people... 42 to 65, I think. Right. I was going to yeah. say, like, there's some boomers who cl- they say they're boomers and they're born in 1965. I would argue that's probably more Gen X, but if yeah. they want to be boomers, go for it. Like, yeah. uh, I'm not going to knock Boomer too hard because somebody was just in the chat like, I'm a boomer and proud of it, which, yeah. hey, cool. no no, no knock in anybody's generation here. Except, right. except when you're saying we're easy breezy. Stop, stop blaming the young people for, <laughs> for problems we had no control over. Stop stop saying millennials have had it so easy yeah. and you know, oh, they're living at home for the for longer than any other generation because they're lazy. No, it's because I can't yeah. afford a damn house. Right. Well, that was my favorite thing in the article. It said it said something like millennials have a pathological proclivity towards short term living. And I was like, you MFers. <laughs> we weren't the ones that piss our entire planet away like we weren't the ones that pissed every single gift that we were given by the generation before us away we have a proclivity towards the short term yo i worked an evening job at a grocery store to to pay for our house and three kids and got myself through college and that i picked myself up by my bootstraps and was like i know people with master's degrees that are unemployed (laughs) Uh, like, yes, like it's just ridiculous. Oh, and by you know the way, they they also lug that hundred and thirty thousand dollars of college debt behind them because yeah. their their part time grocery job just didn't quite cover that. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that you could only work summers, 
you know, mm-hmm. maybe something like 12 weeks at most and pay for your entire living and school, <laughs> you jackass. Yeah. But don't worry. We're easy breezy. Easy breezy. I can't even buy milk without freaking counting quarters and making sure I'm going to make. Yeah. Oh, my God. Don't even get me started. It's like you got any sort of issue. You just hope that Tylenol fixes it. <laughs> Not only that, the house I'm buying costs literally like 12 times the first house my dad bought. Yeah. So why don't you just shut up yep. with your easy breezy? Yep. Yeah, the, my house is almost six times the price of my dad's first house. Yeah, so. It's like, it's easy breezy over here. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Because I wanted to have no retirement uh, when it came time and if I get sick, I think the safest bet is for me to just die because a coffin is going to be cheaper than getting intubated. Yeah. <laughs> Coffin's going to be cheaper than well, even emergency then a, surgery. A, a plot will still run you back five grand. I mean, it's... <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Oh, dude, for sure. And what's crazy too, even just even getting into the incinerator costs more than it really should. It's like, for God's sake. Yep. Uh, can my backyard be a moratorium? Because I ain't going to be charging what the city's charging. <laughs> <laughs> I got a septic tank. It'll take care of me in about seven years. <laughs> There'll be nothing left. I'm still hoping that everybody in my life is just like, he talked about Viking funeral pyres a lot. Uh, <laughs> let's put him on a Viking funeral pyre. <laughs> you know what, Rhett? If, uh, if it ever comes to it, I will use this video as witness of your last will and testament. Thank and, you. Just uh, make sure I'm dead first. Yeah. Uh, which, which river? Because I'm, I'm a little leery of shooting a flaming arrow into the Willamette because I think it'll take the rest of the river with it. It depends. Yeah, it definitely depends on how long I got left. If we're north of we're Oregon City, about... <laughs> it, 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 I, there's a burn moratorium around the river. Like, <laughs> like here Not I think would be that, okay. but... Not only that, but like how much of all this like fracking stuff, not that we have fracking here. I was just trying to make a grim joke, but how much of it has gotten into the river, right? You try to light my boat on fire and the whole river just goes up. (laughs) That's a grim moment. Anyway. I I had one more joke. What was it? Oh, uh, you know, speaking of millennials have it so good. uh, I've gotten comments a a couple of times uh, because I've posted pictures on Twitter of my car of of my my 350z <laughs> which is a great car in great condition it's almost old enough to drink next year it'll be old <laughs> enough to vote um like and it was still nine thousand dollars you know it was only nine thousand dollars though and i bought it actually for kind of economy reasons i had a truck and i was spending God knows how much money on gas commuting 30 miles one way to the only job that I could get and 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 hold down. And uh, I went, you know what? I want something that's a little more fuel efficient. So I actually bought a small convertible. I, I bought a, a Toyota MR2. I went, if I'm going to commute, it's going to be fun, but it'll get good gas mileage because that thing got almost 30 miles to the gallon. Yeah. Uh, 2003 MR2 Spider. But the problem is I'm six foot five. And after about 20 minutes in that thing, I'm going, oh, God, my back, I can't move. And so I traded that in and bought a 350Z, which is a larger convertible to actually hold my frame. But it was only $9,000. It's not like I'm out there driving like a brand new CTS-V or C8 Corvette or something like that. It's like, it's a $9,000 car. (laughs) Like, 
the only reason I was able to get that is yes, we have a truck and a family vehicle, but it. <laughs> it's, but again, it's see, like I went is... out and bought a Honda Civic. I just needed something to get me from A to B. <laughs> This, this is the big issue that I have with the generations that judge us, though, is that, like, you made an economical decision, mm -hmm. and it looks cool. And so there are people who are going to think that you have more money than you actually have right. or think that you are spending your money the wrong way or whatever. Because in their day, you didn't buy a sweet sports car with a convertible top to drive to work or whatever like no you drove the sensible station wagon or freaking buick mm -hmm. or whatever the hell they drove maybe they peddled their dinosaur cars judging on their stupid opinions but um but that's the thing it's like you made a sensible decision and you also get like the benefit of like looking cool having the top down getting to enjoy your drive to work get to enjoy the drive to work decompress on the way home from work it still gets 27 miles the gallon on the highway like right it ain't a bad economy car right exactly you know and and people are going to have their judgments about that and they're not going to necessarily be positive judgments yep like because people don't like it right if you make money people right. don't like it if you're spending money when you don't make money right. like and this isn't like a millennial thing that we have for each other. No, this is like Gen X and boomers looking down like, well, I didn't get that thing. So why do you get it? Right. Why do you get it? This car is from 2004. Like right. it's. <laughs> right. It's like I bought a motorcycle and people always had their judgments until they saw it. And they're like, oh, how old is that thing? I'm like, yeah. it's almost twice as old as I am. Right. It's a. <laughs> Yeah, it's, oh, a, it's not almost it's twice a as old. Seventy-two as Nightwing or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But and what's still, funny like... is, is I was looking for motorcycles around that same time, going, I, I want something economical to, to commute, and you know, I don't mind if it's a, if it's a nicer weather vehicle or a convertible or a motorcycle or something like that because I can drive the truck if it's not so nice. And right, I, I'm the kind of guy who wears shorts. Period. Like, I just wear <laughs> shorts. Uh, you know, if it's if it's above 35 degrees and I'm talking Fahrenheit, not Celsius, uh, <laughs> I'm wearing shorts. Uh, so it's yeah. like, yeah, I'll drive a convertible in Oregon because I'm cool having the top down at 45 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> and I drive it yeah. at 45 degrees. In fact, Rhett was able to pick out my car in a parking lot <laughs> because he went, it's only 45 <laughs> degrees outside. I bet that's Jeff's car with the top down. <laughs> Yeah, that was, was so funny. <laughs> I, and it worked out too because I was, me and my wife were having a conversation about people who drive with their tops down and that kind of weather. And I had mentioned you by name. And then we walk out and I was like, and she's like, look, there's another one. And I was like, oh no, that's Jeff. No, that's actually <laughs> that's Jeff's. Jeff's <laughs> that's great. Yeah. But yeah, you know, that was something that really came out during the, uh, during the 2008 financial crisis was like, you just couldn't have nice things without people thinking a certain way of you yeah and uh and it still pervades and and honestly we all we all gotta support each other you want to buy a freaking convertible to drive to work to save some money on gas please by right. all means for god's sake like we need more people buying vehicles that aren't you know 20 year old ford f-150s that guzzle gas like right you know oh i should have bought a prius oh yeah because lithium's really cheap <laughs> yeah you ever exactly. replaced a battery on a prius yeah, 5, it's almost half the cost of that Nissan that I bought. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, you know, and that's a great point, man. It's it's, and not only that, but like if you get an EV, let's say, like, oh, you want to say you should get an EV. Uh, okay, what they don't tell you about EVs right now is how much it costs to register them. Like, uh, I'm pretty like my father-in-law just bought a, a Nissan Leaf. I'm gonna butcher the exact cost, but it was over five hundred dollars for a registration. Yeah. Whereas you or I could take our gas cars down there. Hundred twenty-two bucks. Exactly. Yep. On the dollar. So it's like you have all of these like hidden costs that are associated with things. And so it's like, uh, anyway, all that to say that, uh, I, for one, welcome the beer and the drinks of the apocalypse. Um, <laughs> Bring on the damn We're going to, we're going to need to take the edge off somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Look at these hipsters drinking hops in their beers. Gosh, <laughs> spending money where it shouldn't be. Back in my uh, day, we, got... we drank malt liquor and we liked it. Yeah. <laughs> God. Uh, we got a couple super chats here. I don't know if we got Andrew Preston. Irish cream coffee stout, 6% Fall River Brewing Co. Uh, well done. That sounds freaking delicious. And uh, he bought Andrew... another one. Yeah. Andrew not Preston. knowing how to take care of themselves. Shift a manual trans. Balance a checkbook. Yes, because you don't teach it in school. Whose fault is that? Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Easy breezy, son. Easy breezy. Hey, my 350Z is a six speed. <laughs> uh, in fact, my 2013 Nissan Frontier pickup is also a six speed. So come out. You know, I... I think part of the problem with like people driving manual transmissions is how much the older generations like glorify it and put it on a pedestal. So it becomes more intimidating than it really is. Oh, totally. Like, you know, that was a big thing for me when I was learning. I was like, I could never learn. Only people who are dedicated to learning to drive could do this. Right. Oh. And then you just are forced to do it. And you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I've I've owned way too many cars. Uh, I've, I've bought and sold them quite a bit. Uh, I never had a hoopty fleet, but I had every hoopty that makes up a fleet. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the majority of my cars have been manuals and, and I've actually sought them out because I really enjoy driving them. Uh, it, yeah. it gives me something to do while I'm driving it. Yeah, it's it's fun. Uh, I had a 95 Celica with a five speed. I had a, an 80, 85 RX-7 with a five or That one was a four speed, I want to say. Yeah. Um, I, I had a Chevy Tracker, which was the, the Suzuki Samurai uh, Chevy model. That was a, a five-speed with four-wheel drive. Uh, my truck is a five-speed. I bought a brand-new Chevy Cruze in 2013. That was a six-speed. Uh, brand-new car. Uh, my MR2 was a six-speed. My 350Z is a six-speed. Like, uh, I had a 91 Mazda 626 five-speed. Like... <laughs> I don't have a lot of automatics in my history. <laughs> I do. I've got a couple. <laughs> I've got a couple. In fact, the car that made me want to buy the 350Z was my 2004 Nissan Maxima, which was a, a five-speed automatic. And it's like, man, if if the if, if their sports sedan drives like this, I want the 350. <laughs> there you go. All right, we do yeah, have some news to get back into. We better we better wrap it up. Yeah, because yep. we're getting to the end here. Ooh, Dirk Deadeye says, six-speed Chevy Sonic LTZ. Actually, I went into the dealership wanting to buy a Chevy Sonic Turbo. Uh, uh, they they only had the, the non-turbo, so the 1.8 naturally aspirated with a five-speed. 
and I went first gear. Okay, not so bad. I went to second gear and I went, oh, because it was absolutely gutless. And, uh, and whatnot, I said, well, can I at least drive it? Like, do you have like a Chevy Cruze that has the same engine with the turbo and the six speed? So I could like know if that's the car that I want. Cause I, I need something with a little bit of pickup. Cause I do highway driving and thing. He goes, yeah. And so we, I got in the Chevy Cruze and it had the six speed and the one, and the one, uh, one eight turbo and drove that. And it actually had some pickup and go. And so I went, you know what? I like this car enough. I'll buy this one instead of a, a of a Sonic. So Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, anyway, uh, Rockstar Games accidentally delisted all of their games off of Steam and sent the internet into a frenzy <laughs> earlier this week because they thought they were going to block them off and be Rockstar Games exclusives. Uh, that is, host their own online store and whatever else. But you could still buy the shark cards for the low, low price of like $70 a piece. Uh turns out to be an error in which they were trying to update uh what game was it they were they were trying to update um they were trying to update one of their titles i don't remember which one uh and for some reason they clicked a wrong button in steam's development platform and delisted all of their games for like 24 hours and it took it took a full day to get them all back on there. <laughs> and when they finally showed up back on there, they had some legacy titles that they had since pulled because they were no longer compatible with Windows 10 and so on and so forth. Uh, and so that was a little bit of a weird one where you could buy like Grand Theft Auto 2 again, which is notoriously terrible to run on 64-bit computers. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, oh, they were updating Max Payne 3. That's right. Uh, there you go. Yeah, here's the the list of Steam changes. Uh, retired at publisher request, Grand Theft Auto 3, Max Payne, Red Dead Online, Max Payne RU, San Andreas German, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, Max Payne 3, Max Payne IT. Down the list it goes. Um, what? They got rid of the $500,000 single-player DLC bonus? No way. Oh, dang it which applies to Franklin and not the other characters. And so Franklin gets $500,000 when you start, which means he can buy whatever cars and guns that he wants. But the other characters can't. You can't transfer the funds to the other characters unless you, you know, use the cheat codes to get $100,000 for the other players. So, <laughs> like, there's built-in cheat codes to give, e to give your player $100,000 in single player. Heck yeah. And... The DLC. How else are you supposed to QA test a game like that? You know, you gotta have right. your built-in cheat codes. Right. Well, well, the the pre-order bonus was you get a five hundred thousand dollar credit on your single-player game, which you could already have thanks to cheats. You just have to do it five times. Well, that's the funny thing about DLC. People who love it are stupid. Yep. Okay, that was too far. <laughs> not all of not not everyone that loves DLC is stupid, but just, just you know most that's. Of it. The, that's the thing like they're like we got the game sub exclusive get this really shitty cosmetic item for your character in mass effect 2 yeah. that you'll use for three seconds and never again yep <laughs> it's like all right i'll buy digital sorry yeah although mass effect 2 wasn't you know what i do is i wait for the game of the year edition so regardless of what game it is someone will name you game of the year and so you can come out with a game of the year edition or just call it the game of the year edition even though yeah. you didn't win a single award for it and i'll buy exactly. it with all of the dlcs including the pre-order exclusive bonuses for gamestop best buy amazon walmart etc for like 20 dollars next year 
Crazy. All uh, hey, rem- Just Cause 3. <laughs> Perfect. I remember buying Morrowind Game of the Year Edition. I was like, the hell? I don't know anybody else who knows this game. How did it win Game of the Year? Yeah. <laughs> Not that I didn't love it and think it was genius, but... <laughs> Yeah, I think the last game I bought at retail might have been Just Cause 2. I, I actually bought a physical disc for that one. Um, now, the physical disc was just a Steam installer with the base version of the game yeah. on the disc, so you can install it locally, and then you still had to update it through Steam. Uh, and before that, I think I bought Borderlands. And I think those were the last two physical discs that I bought. I bought a physical disc for No Man's Sky because I wanted the case to go on my shelf. Okay, I can see that. I kind of regret it because the disc takes forever to load. Yeah. But uh, (laughs) I think I'm going to buy it on PC. I I have it on good old games if you're... We should talk. We should talk. talk. (laughs) I don't know if I'll ever play it on PC. I got so many games to play. Yeah. Now that I can play them all, Jeff. Yes. Thanks to your... 16 core Xeon and Titan XP and 64 gigs of RAM and 1440p 165 hertz monitor with FreeSync and pretty crazy you and know, that I fancy Steel Series and... keyboard and God, what else have I given you? Jesus. <laughs> the only thing on my desk that you didn't give me is my really sh- the, the crappy mouse. razor mouse <laughs> that I bought on Craigslist like seven or eight years ago. Um, let's see. I've I've got a Razor Basculus X right here. Oh. I've got uh, a couple of different Logitechs over there that are like money. I think I've got a 605 around here. I've got a 901, a 905, I was buy a, a 603. Yeah, like I've got a lot of Logitech mice around here. Well, good for you, Jeff. Good for you. You know, it's kind of funny. I hadn't played Dota 2 in like five years. And then I get this rig up and running. And I'm like, oh, man, wow, Horizon Zero Dawn is dope. Oh, wow, Cyberpunk 77, really, really dope. And then I'm like, dude, Dota 2? <laughs> I played Dota 2 for the first time. <laughs> I'm going to need that video that card made. back now. <laughs> I don't know why. It just made me laugh. That I was chuckling the whole time. Like, oh, totally different game than when I left it. But yeah. Ah. Uh, all all right. right. Next up, uh, Doom claims one more victim in what can what uh, what can run Doom or can it run Doom? You know, the original meme that wasn't can it run Crisis, uh, and that is a brand excuse me, a brand new holographic display. Uh, So an intrepid uh, developer uh, has taken a looking glass holographic display and given Doom some some depth. Hold on. There we go. (laughs) So here, let me play the whole thing. There we go. has given Doom some depth. And so this is just a display, but as you can see, as you change your angle, it changes the (laughs) viewpoint in the display. Right? Right, that looks so good. And now I need one. (laughs) I don't know what I would use it for. I don't know if it just takes, uh, it does do, uh, it's a very similar to the 3DS's parallax technology, but but yeah. a step beyond because it's more than just a slight angle adjustment. Um, yeah. 
where uh, I, I have multiple renditions of the, the Nintendo 3DS with its holographic display. Uh, and with the original 3DS, you had to really sit it right in the sweet spot. With the second generation, with the new 3DS, they had eye tracking technology. So they knew where your face was. And so they would adjust the screen and the parallax to, to adjust for you. And... I love that console and still one of my favorite Nintendo consoles to date is the new 3DS XL. In fact, when I was traveling last year, or not last year, gosh, we're already in 2021. And I was traveling in 2019, the 3DS is what I took instead of my Switch because I have more games for it. It's a little bit more portable. It has a longer lasting battery. It's easier on the plane, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's what I took with me. And, uh, and it's great. I, I love the new 3DS. Uh, but I want one of these displays. I want one of these displays. Especially if you can just like send it side-by-side imagery and then have it display holographic imagery to you. Like that is just... Uh, I want that. Uh, they also uh, did a holographic Minecraft uh, demo on it as well. So... Doesn't look quite as nice, but you can see where it's going to be headed. Right, kind of cool. Right, you can you can get the general idea. So obviously the field of view needs to get bigger and and whatnot, but it's there. Sergey Botsman in chat says it's going to be great for previewing uh, 3D prints, which uh, oh, I totally. think is a really great point. I, I think that'd be, be cool. fantastic I, for for I, CAD modeling and and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Those those holographic displays are so dope. I would love one on my on my shelf. Yep. And now we get into some Star Trek tangently related talk. Uh, you knew it was coming. Uh, which one do you want to do first? I I kind of want to switch the order of these ones. So let's do the, uh, right, the Michael. Do we'll, we'll do the Michael Dorn first. Uh, and that is Michael Dorn uh, posted the following tweet. Just got the news, being summoned back into action, Starfleet calls. However, it threw some people for a... Now, some people thought this was for Star Trek Picard. Oh, Worf is finally coming back to Star Trek Picard. You know, where's Geordi? Where's Worf? Where's, you know, some of the other characters that were missing out of Star Trek Picard? Um, But there's a hashtag ad at the end of it. And the news Uh. coming out later implies this was not for TV or movie. This was for a another project. Uh, and that has since been confirmed. It is not going to be a TV show or movie that Michael Dorn comes back for, dashing the majority of my hopes, uh, but rather likely for a a game of some kind. Uh, I was going to say, it must be a game. Yeah, it's, it, it's, a, it's a game of some kind. And in fact... Michael posted this, which is very clearly a 3D rendered wharf on Scramble Vision. Uh, something, something, this is the USS Cheerio or whatever the, the heck it is. Uh, obviously video game-like uh, appearance. And TNG-era uniform. This is not his Lieutenant Commander post-Star uh, Trek Insurrection DS9 red uniform. This is his... He's a lieutenant tactical officer uniform. Uh, so I'm a little confused on the timeline here because he went directly from serving on the USS Enterprise to serving on the DS9 ever after his promotion to lieutenant commander. So 
Well, it's a video game. So, um, right. time paradox for sure. Yep. You got the scramble vision. Absolutely. War finally figured out how to get a, uh, a message. <laughs> uh, Klingon honor guard too. Oh, please don't, don't toy with me. War <laughs> <laughs> finally figured out how to bounce signals off of, uh, tachyon particles and, uh, get through the, the time paradox. Yeah. Let people know what's up. Klingon Honor Guard 2? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Do it. Bring on the prune juice. It's a warrior's drink. Uh, Picard <laughs> isn't Star Trek. You bite your tongue, sir. Who said that? I'm about to ban them. Glenn James says Picard Bye. isn't Star Trek. What is I, it? I have my, my issues with the 10-episode miniseries episodic that Star Trek Picard was. But overall, I really enjoyed it. Um, and to say that Jean-Luc's continuing story is not Star Trek because it didn't feel like TNG, they didn't seek out to make TNG. They sought out to show what Picard was doing in his after years and tell a story that is, shocker, politically motivated by some of today's incidents. Uh, you know, some of the things that we deal with today in, in demographics and, and society. Uh race relations and and prejudice and all this other stuff that star trek as much as tng presented a squeaky clean universe ds9 presented us with it can get a little dirty at times and voyager kind of continued that and discovery is kind of continuing that because star trek has always been political commentary of we should try to be better and even though they're better in the future, they're still struggling with similar issues, whether it's prejudice against droids or pre- prejudice against races you don't like. Klingons don't like Cardassians and Cardassians don't like Klingons. You know what? They're still fighting about that 300 years from now. You think we can try to be a little bit better? Like, maybe? Yeah. Do you think maybe we can be accepting of LGBTQ because Jadzia Dax had the first woman-on-woman kiss in in television history? Do you think maybe we could let, you know, people of color on the bridge, a la Uhuru, Sulu? (laughs) Like, they've always been progressive. Yeah. And And you got the whole mixed race thing with Spock, too, even. Yeah. Right. Yeah, mixed race with Spock and the prejudice that was that was thrown against him from both Vulcans and humans. And right, so you make it palatable to the viewers though, because they're like, "Well, it's Leonard Nimoy, you know." Right. Right. But he is mixed race, yeah. and if you're going to accept him half Vulcan, half human, you got to wonder why aren't you so accepting for uh, other such people? Right. Yeah, it's and that's the thing. Like even like you know, if you look at TNG, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, squeaky clean, clean universe. But mm-hmm. they still are shining a light on all of the, you know, moral dilemmas and struggles and, and socioeconomic uh, issues that we deal yeah, with man, as a society today. I was going through TNG with my wife, 2016, and uh, you know, 2016 was a big year if y'all remember, and. Uh, and I was blown away by how many of the episodes and their points and their moral themes were relevant to that day and age. Yeah. Blown away. Yeah. Like, it was crazy, man. Um, and that's why that show is, it's going to age very well. Um, because these well, issues not are not seasons one been... and two. Those don't age so well. 
I, I don't mind him. I'm gonna be the first one to say <laughs> I don't mind him. Season one, it's like kind of kind of steamy. But season two, S- season uh, has some bangers. Season, season one. My biggest problem with season one is not necessarily the stories. It's the presentation of they were taking Patrick Stewart's lead on this is a Shakespeare theatrical presentation, not a sci-fi episodic series. And and so the acting is 100% over the top all of the time. Yeah, but I don't know if it ever changes. It is projecting to make yourself heard on stage, not there's a microphone you can have private conversations on a bridge it's okay <laughs> yeah but i always loved that about picard and i don't know if he ever loses that like he definitely gets a little bit more dynamic but yeah. like that's my favorite thing about picard and like when i would watch the the show in a certain frame of mind like i'd always become so acutely aware that there are actors like playing these like archetypal roles and it's yeah. like oh this is what Riker does this is what picard does this is what whatever I, I love that they full on address that in Star Trek Picard with uh, with Rios going like, I, he- I hear you like to make speeches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the speeches were my favorite part, man. If, if I could count on an episode where Picard wasn't that big of a deal to come in at the end yeah. and make a big speech about it. Like, I loved it. Like, yeah. I couldn't wait for it. Like, oh, there's there's so many good ones. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll close on the next story. The best news that I have heard all day long. This is absolutely fantastic and something that I have been clamoring for on Twitter. Uh, and apparently 246,000 other people have also been asking for at least because that's how many people signed the petition to get LeVar Burton to host Jeopardy. Uh, (laughs) the man that so many generations grew up with learning how to read and appreciating reading should now take us into our yesteryear or our, our, you know, non-formative years, our decaying years and find out how much we know. Uh, so Jeopardy has finally announced the final guest host for season 37. Uh, those will be Robin Roberts, George Stephanopoulos, David Faber, Joe Buck, and LeVar Burton. Um, Stephanopoulos, maybe. Like, like if there's any competition, it's there. It's not in Joe Buck. I don't think you have to worry about Joe Buck and Aaron Rodgers taking LeVar Burton's crown there. Um, but uh, this makes so much sense from nearly every angle you can think of, having LeVar Burton host Jeopardy. I can't think of a better mix. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd make a Joe Buck. Really I'd, I'd make a Joe Buck joke, but again, this is a family show. As much as we try to make it, <laughs> so. yeah. And it sounds like uh, Levar Burton's going to be hosting like a week. He's going to be hosting string. one week, uh, July twenty sixth through thirtieth uh, this Perfect. year. Uh, I'm not sure when those episodes will air, but they're usually a couple weeks delayed, and so probably sometime in August we'll be able to catch those. Uh, I think that's the air date, isn't it? Uh, I think I read those. Was is the that the air date? date? I could. Yeah, I'll may I'll eat my words on that. If I may be wrong, but when I read it earlier, I thought it was <laughs> that was the air date. Um, but now Jeff wondering has me severely doubting. So yeah. uh, I do submit myself to you all watching uh, for chastisement and um, berating. Yeah. But no, this is <laughs> this is the host of Jeopardy that could get me to watch Jeopardy again. Like, 
I used to watch it. I used to watch it all the time. I, I, I think 90% of people did. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, it was on at seven o'clock on CBS. It, it, it's like, that's what was on. And that's what you watched. And man, I can't think of a better person that they've had guest hosts than what will probably be LeVar Burton. Yeah. So let's make yeah, this happen. So. Let's make it permanent. I will not watch Joe Buck seconded. I will not watch Joe Buck. Aaron Rodgers was slightly more entertaining than I expected, but I won't watch Aaron Rodgers regularly. Not going to watch Troy Aikman. Probably not going to watch George Stephanopoulos. Uh, you know, it's just like, give me LeVar Burton. <laughs> give me LeVar. It's kind of, it's, it is kind of sad how much like fan outcry had to play a role in this, you know, like, would he have even gotten consideration if it just like wasn't the Twitter campaign of the last few months? You know, I, I don't know that he would have. And and not to make this a political thing, but look at the guest hosts that they've had so far. Yeah, they've, yeah, they've kind of got like one thing in common that LeVar doesn't have in common with them. Yeah. <laughs> they've not been on Star Trek. Yeah, they've not been on Star Trek. That's what I was getting. <laughs> um. I don't know anything about Joe Buck. Is he just boring? Uh, Joe Buck's kind of just a prick. <laughs> uh, he's annoying to listen to on a lot of broadcasts. He he does, uh, usually he's on the, the Sunday night NFL broadcast. Uh, he also does a lot of baseball games uh, during baseball season. And he just has one of those voices to me that's just kind of grating. And, yeah. And he seems to not like anyone. Joe Buck's girlfriend is Aaron Rodgers. I was going to make that joke, but again, this is a family <laughs> show. How is Joe, how is Joe Buck going to be the host of Jeopardy with Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> this is a family show, Jeff. Yeah, I know. What are you doing? I know. That was the joke I was going to make because that's the common joke. You know, when Aaron Rodgers plays anyone, you know, the only person who loved a person more in the game of football was uh, John Madden for Brett Favre. <laughs> Brett Favre is the greatest player in football. You can cut off both Brett Favre's arms, both his legs, he'd still be the best torso. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, that's it for our news. That's it. Uh... And it's about 12 past the hour. I think that's a pretty good uh, Logan Paul versus Joe Buck. Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> over under, which one lasts more than three punches? <laughs> Logan Paul, clearly. Logan Paul. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh that's rough. Oh, anyway, this has yeah. been a show. It's 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 been a yeah. little different one. I feel. Uh, I pr well, I appreciate you know the the audience was really encouraging my rants tonight. So I just... yeah, that, they wanted me to hit hit F nine. That, that's the hot <laughs> key on my keyboard for uh, for the rant alert. It's all right. So. You didn't press it. I didn't earn it, we clearly. Didn't, yeah, so. I don't think you earned it. And I, I don't think even though I was carrying on for a little bit on a couple subjects, I don't think I earned it either. Like, that wasn't rant-worthy, I yeah. don't think. That that button's there for special occasions. Oh, yeah. Don't worry. Next time I'm on, I'm going to make you press it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, Michael, $2 super chat. Thank you. Last super, prove me wrong. Yeah, oh, prove him wrong while I'm doing my outro, by all means. Thank you so much for watching episode 180 of Talking Heads here on Craft Computing every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Pacific time for the latest in beer and tech news. That statement didn't make any sense, but all the bullet points were there. If you like the show, make sure to hit that thumbs up button. Subscribe to Craft Computing if you haven't done so already. Join the Patreon or Float Plane if you'd like to take part in the super secret chat and the even more super secret after party over on the Discord. You'll get exclusive access to my server where you can chat with myself, John, Rhett, Steve, all of the hosts from Talking Heads and join the ever-growing community over there. Don't forget about hitting us up on the replay over in podcast form on anchor.fm or wherever your favorite podcasts are found, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Google, we're literally everywhere. Need more F9 button? Well, we need more topics that get us fired up that we can actually <laughs> rant about without breaking the family-friendly criteria of the I got close with the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> you dropped a couple S-bombs tonight, I'm not going to lie. I know. Yeah. I tried not to, but... Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I almost called you on the third one, but the, I saw you self-correcting. It's like, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you all so much for, for uh, watching us. And I've, I've been a little spacey today. I apologize. But nevertheless, we'll see you next week. Cheers, y'all. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>